0: Welcome to the Rise Up Kings Podcast, where you'll hear from the pros who've built business empires without sacrificing their faith, family, or fitness. The host, Skylar Lewis, has built multiple multi-million dollar companies, is an author, speaker, and founder of the three-day Rise Up Kings experience. It's time to rise up to your God-given potential and create a life of liberty abundance and impact to learn more about rise up kings go to riseupkings.com don't forget to subscribe
1: bill hi welcome to the show
2: glad to be here
1: Uh, yeah i'm excited to have you so bill hi for those of you that don't know he has uh, he's uh, he's an attorney uh, a, a professional in the family legacy space he's a family man and has worked with David Green, Hobby Lobby, their family, uh, really helping them uh, develop generational wealth plans and uh, really working with their giving and philanthropy. And so I'm excited to really dig in and kind of extract some of the information that you've learned over the years and, after, and the things that you've learned working with not only uh, some of the most wealthiest individuals on the planet, but also uh, people that don't have that wealth built yet and that are looking to build a plan. And uh, and see what that looks like for them when it comes to leaving a legacy.
2: So yeah, glad to jump in with you, Skylar. Really glad to be part of the podcast here today and appreciate you and all that you're doing with so many people, men, couples, everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I loved it. I love it. I, I was thinking about this uh, before our, our uh, you jumping on the call. And, and I was curious, like, where did the passion for uh, leaving a legacy come in? Like, why is that, why is that important to you?
2: Well, you, I don't know if you've ever heard the adage, but I think it's a powerful statement. It, it goes like this. It says wherever you have the greatest brokenness is where the flower grows or wherever your deepest wound is, is where the flower grows. So in my case, you know, family was my deepest wound. My dad died when I was 12. He wasn't the greatest dad by any means. He had all kinds of issues, alcohol, the whole bit. And all of a sudden, I'm 12 and there's no dad there. And even though he wasn't the greatest dad, it became that place where it's like, well, where, what happened here? And so even as a young kid, I'm like 13 years old and I'm starting a journal. And my deepest desire, even at that time, I, I, I still have those journals and even then i was writing down uh, god i want to be a great father i want to have a great family and so i've always had a passion for family when i got married had kids Man, I was all in and I worked really hard at it. I've got adult kids now. We've got uh grandkids now and we're super invested in the grandkids. My wife spends a couple days a week with the grandkids, so it's just a big life passion. Now, of course, I've had the benefit too of practicing law and working with families there, and of course being in the nonprofit space and now moving into the consulting space with families. It's just a, a passion area for me and just been a great experience over the years.
1: So thank you for sharing and being vulnerable about your past and, and with your dad. I, I was reading your, your bio and you kind of share openly about some of his challenges and uh, him passing away uh, that early. I mean, we don't know when our time is going to come. That's, I believe, why it's so important that we have a plan in place. For the legacy that we want to leave, a lot, a lot of uh, younger listeners might be thinking, "I don't need to focus on legacy yet. I don't have anything that uh, right uh, that, that that can come later in life." Well, what if there isn't a later? Like, how are we setting up our family and the next generation and, and our children's children uh, for success? Like, how are we setting that up? And so that's uh, something that's become very important to me more recently. Also, is making sure I've really set a path not only financially, but uh, value wise, you know, with, with, with our family.
2: Yeah. And I think that one of the things you kind of really have to beat back is this notion that legacy is somehow tied to an estate plan. Mm-hmm. That's really not what it's about. And then you hear the phrase that you should leave a legacy. I don't like that phrase. I think the idea really is about the idea that you should live a legacy or what we teach in the workshops that we lead is we say that you are putting, legacy is what you are putting in motion. You are setting in motion a series of events. It's like the rock and the lake. Your ripple, The ripple effect of your life is profound. I was just reading today, in fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dennis Swanberg, the comedian, but he talks about how his uh, great-grandfather uh, immigrated to the U.S. from Sweden. And in the, it's like the 1880s. And he moved out to uh, east Texas or east, east of Austin, had a, a farm there. And while he was there, built a um, house and he planted some trees. Well, he died uh, before his son was very old. But they still have that farm and that his, his son and his family and now Dennis's kids are all sitting under the shade from these trees that his great grandfather planted years ago. And the idea is that we are planting shade trees that affect future generations and that's really what we think about when we talk about living a legacy or setting in motion a series of events that affect future generations that's how we have to think about it
1: so good what what are and I'm taking notes by the way if you see me looking down what are some ways what are some ways that people can start to plant these shade trees that they can start to leave this legacy? What are some ways, like in what ways are people leaving a legacy? Because I think you talk about it, right? Because everyone's leave, leaving a legacy, right? They're just, are they leaving a good legacy or a bad legacy, a serving legacy or someone that's not serving their future generations?
2: Yeah. And I think that's one thing that people have to, some of your first recognitions is to realize that legacy is not neutral. It is good or bad. And certainly the Bible talks about that idea that it's good or bad. It's, we're all going to be judged based upon the quality of our works, the resources that God put in our hands. And so it's going to be good or bad. We don't, we, don't, we don't get a pass to say, oh yeah, he was just average. It really does come down to that idea. And so if you recognize that the kind of legacy that you leave, what, what does that look like? How do you start doing that? So like literally, just even reading Swanberg's story today, you know, this the idea of the family homestead. You know, we, we are such a mobile society. We've moved around all kinds of places. But well, the idea of living in the same place Uh, generation after generation, and literally planting the trees is like, hey, my great-grandfather planted that tree. I think there'd be tremendous value of us returning to some of those kind of ideas. But sometimes it's some of the real practical things. You know, the Bible talks about symbols. You know, sometimes it's, you know, we're going to have the altar of rocks as a sign of remembrance. Or in Deuteronomy, it talks about post these things on the doorposts of your house. So um, I've got one family that they literally have a coin that they put in their pocket, and that coin has a picture of the world, and it has their vision statement on the coin, and they can keep it in their pocket as a reminder that God's called them to serve the world and take the vision of the gospel out to the world. Sometimes it's books. You know, sometimes it's literally here's a book that's been handed down uh, at Christmas time. Uh, Not this Christmas, but the past Christmas, I had a collection of watches. Some of them came from my wife's grandfather, some of them came from my dad. And we passed out watches to everybody and said, Look, here is part of our family legacy. So the importance of symbols as a way to say, Here's something that we're part of. Now, what we teach in the workshop, of course, is what you've already mentioned, Skylar, which you're, you're, Really emphasize it's what's the vision, what's the mission, what are the values, vision, mission, values. And you talk about those and you share those, you rinse, repeat, you share them time and time again as a way to let the legacy stick. Uh, Again, one of the things that we talk about, I'm kind of rambling on here, but this is good. This is good. Yeah, this gets me excited. One of the things that we talk about is that if you want to leave something in your kids that's the ripple effect the simplest thing is we ask this question what are the 10 stories that your children and grandchildren need to know those stories look like when i met my wife when i proposed to her some of your worst moments your best moments when i came to know christ when you know uh, in my case when i lost my dad do your children know your stories? Because when you know those stories, you know the emotional moment. People remember the emotion. It sits in your gut. It sits in your muscles. It's the kind of stuff that you feel. And that's part of what legacy really is.
1: Mm, so good. Yes, yeah, is definitely not the typical thought when someone thinks of legacy, right? It's almost always financial legacy. Uh, and w- w- where would people write, write these 10 stories? Like where have you seen people maybe store some of these stories? I, lo- I love that idea of, of, of continuing to have the stories passed on generation to generation.
2: Well, as you know, I mean, the first thing that you start with stories, of course, is there is an oral tradition. So you literally do have to be able to tell those stories and to be able to repeat them as an oral tradition. Uh, So don't neglect that part of it. But nonetheless, uh, to your point is, yes, we're seeing people create legacy books where they write them down. We're actually in process as a family as well. Or I'm working on a genealogy book that will have uh, pictures of some of uh, the the grandfathers, great grandfathers, Swanberg. And I've got other families. uh, I know another family that they have this. They have their, um, uh, I think it's their legends wall. And it's the picture of all these different ancestors. Of course, some of them, you know, never met. Uh, my great grandfather, who I was named after, he was supposedly a dead eye with a rifle. So you can pass on that your legends wall to your kids. And, you know, that's one of the things that you're trying to do in this legacy process is you want to try to create curiosities like, where did we come from? I mean, do you know anybody that's not interested or, or fails to lack interest about where we come from and who were our ancestors? No. Uh, but where are we at in our world today? Man, it's like 20% of our kids don't even know who their grandparents or great grandparents were. We don't know our genealogies, but we need to know where we come from. And what do you see, by the way, in the scriptures? How much emphasis is there on in genealogy you know you see these long. and of course today we read those genealogical passages and if you know i mean let's let's be honest if you're one of those guys who reads through the bible every year you kind of skim the genealogies and you count those like you read it well those things meant something to the israelites because the genealogy said ah, that's where Skylar comes from we know actually probably where he lived and what the country was like we know what they probably did for occupation that's why it's so so important
1: mm. yeah you mentioned homesteads earlier family homesteads that is so intriguing to me so i'm working on building that out we have 16 acres over here in uh, dallas area and so i just moved my mom Uh, on a tiny home out here, so on the property. And then my sister, we just got her home uh, three weeks ago out here. So my sister, my grandma, and my two nephews are now, uh, she'll be moving in in about two weeks. My mom's already here, so they'll all be living on the property, trying to get my dad out here also, but he's not willing to leave California. Uh, I will get him at some point. Uh, Dad, if you're listening, you're coming out here, Dad. (laughs) Um, I'm going to find a way. So I I love it. I'd love to see this property passed down. Now, how do how do I how do I how do I get it so my family doesn't end up selling the property right when they need the cash in a hundred years right as opposed to keeping this thing I got to lock it up in a trust. Uh, but what are you seeing with family homesteads? Like, what are you seeing more of this happen? Like, I I, I love the idea. Uh, Bob Shank, one of my mentors, uh, he runs a master's program. He all he says all of his family live within a block of him, so they're all on this. He's he's in Orange County. And so he has his, his family living on on the same block as him, uh, just to be close, and he's able to uh, to spend t- spend close intimate time with his family. And so I, I love that idea of getting back to those roots, where yeah, there's there's generations that have lived on the same property. So what what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And are you seeing any more of that happen, or is that still r- more rare?
2: Oh no, hundred percent. There's definitely the directional change. But I think some of it comes back to, if we come back to what a biblical definition of family is, uh, we've misused some of that idea about leave and cleave. Um, It used to, you know, a guy named Walter Trubish talked about, yeah, leave your family for a year. And, you know, you know, and sometimes that means go separate because you want to establish the marriage relationship. Well, the leave and cleave was always meant to be the emotional leaving. Mm. Leave to your wife emotionally. It didn't mean that because Skyler, you and your wife got married, that you should go move away to Montana because that sounded fun. Proximity matters. Mm. It matters, you know, whether or not you're around your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews. And if you look at the global families around the world, man, they are multi-generational, intergenerational. I've got a book, you know, Hunt, Gather, Parent. It talks all about this idea, These the families where kids are really thriving. It's because you have an aunt or uncle around you saying, man, that's a dumb idea. Don't do that. Because sometimes you need those people to speak into the lives of your kids in ways sometimes that they're not going to receive it from you. And again, even if you go back to the biblical times, the historical times, when we talked about setting up a household. It didn't mean that you moved to another town. It meant literally there was the family compound where you might add on to the house or live, move right next door because why? Family needed each other. And so, this idea of those kind of compounds like that, compound might have some negative terminology, but I like it. I like the family compound idea. (laughs) We'll, 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 We'll go back to the homestead idea and say, The power of the homestead and the fact that we need one another is huge. My mom's 95. She turned 95 a couple weeks ago and she lives with us. And, you know, sometimes that's really hard because that means we've got to coordinate and schedule travel and those kind of things in ways that we didn't have to. But, you know, every night I'm not traveling, I'm home. I got to go downstairs and I sit down with her and we just talk and you know i have to guess that it's one of the best parts of her day and one of the best parts of my day so it's just tremendous power in that idea and what what is that really reflective of it's the fact that we are all part of a grand narrative we are not never just this isolated island floating in the world it's not just about you or me, it's about the fact that I came from something and I'm part of something and I'm part of a much bigger narrative in total. Wow, that is
1: profound and, and very powerful. I feel like the uh, more recent generations, right, including my generation, tend to be a little bit more selfish with what we want, right? I want to go move to another state and get what I want and get the job that I want and you know whatever that may be, as opposed to really considering the family uh, and considering your parents and considering everyone else. And so I just see a lot of inconsiderate behavior. Uh, I was not considerate of them at all when thinking about, uh, many decisions in my life. So, uh, man, this is, this is so good. Uh, let's talk about giving, giving for a moment and families that give. And, uh, first off, what, what are your, what's your, uh, why give like like we have primarily christians that listen to this show so why why give i'd love to hear just your mindset and actually i have a journey of uh, or a a desire to write a book about uh money and christianity right and the mindsets around that and abundance versus scarcity I've, there's so much confusion around what christians are supposed to think about money and there a lot of a lot of moral conflicts and Uh, But anyway, I'd love to I'd love to hear what your thoughts around around giving and and why giving is important, because there's people that are on this show that know they they quote unquote should give are not giving. Anyway, I'd love to hear your perspective.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you go back and you take a look at what Jesus did, I mean, what did he announce? He says, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. And you think, what did that mean? The kingdom of God's at hand. But the kingdom that he was talking about is this upside down kingdom. And it's the idea of servant leadership. He didn't come as a guy dressed in royal robes and a crown on his head and exerting power and influence. He came as a guy riding a donkey, you know, Uh, not the not the steed for battle, but a humble animal. And he served and he gave his life. He was willing to be broken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was not a kingdom that anybody expected. And yet, by any standards, it was the most profound Uh, hearkening of any kingdom in the world today. We're still influenced. Again, even if you don't like Christianity, it's the kind of kingdom that people still uh, measure up against. So there's tremendous power in this idea of the upside-down kingdom. Well, part of that upside-down kingdom is Jesus talking about the idea give, and it'll be given back to you, pressed down and overflowing. There is something about giving that unlocks who we were called to be uh, and again some of this it goes back to this idea of the upside down the kingdom the more we try to hold on to the more we try to grasp for ourselves the less happy we are so by corresponding nature man if you want to live a great life you want to live a legacy you want to put something powerful in motion Give away your life, give away what you have. The most powerful things, you know, that you get a hold on to are the things that you've given away. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. I remember a guy that in the aftermath of um, 9-11, actually leading up to it, I'd met with him and he's like, hey, you know, I'm not quite there yet. I'm not ready to give yet. I'm still trying to grow and build. And, you know, and when I get there, then I'll give. Well, David Green always says, he says, you know, if you don't give it when you don't have it, you'll never give it when you do have it. Well, September 11th came and that guy virtually lost everything. Uh, He didn't give it when he actually had it, but he certainly wasn't going to give it then. And so the point being is that, man, when you start to live the kind of generous life that God calls us to, everything changes.
1: Do you have any specific thoughts around how much one should give, right? And I have a lot of conversations with different people around this topic uh, around giving. So just t- tell me some of your personal convictions and, and 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 beliefs around that.
2: Yeah, I mean you start with the place of course, how much have you been blessed. So if you start there, well, you tell me. So so you know where what you hear the church teach Uh, And and by the way, let's put this in perspective. Today, America gives about two and a half percent of adjusted gross income, two and a half percent. So pretty paltry. In the Great Depression, by the way, that was the peak of charitable giving in the country, and it was at 2.9 percent. So we haven't moved the needle. In fact, we've gone down since the Great Depression today the church teaches give 10% a tithe well even if we follow that number we're not matching a tithe but then you go from there and you say well actually there's three tithes in the old testament there is a uh, a tithe for the poor and needy there's a levitical tithe there's a festival tithe so it's actually and the the poor and needy tithe was uh, once every 3 years so it's at least 23 uh, percent, 23 and a third percent that you could argue. And in addition, in the Old Testament, they also did offerings. So some people have said that, man, these folks were given like a 50% a year. Uh, so uh, a much higher number. You take a look at the Green family, and we have this conversation with David all the time. Here's a company that's doing $8 billion in sales, they're incredibly profitable. And they are given 50% of their profit. And I'll ask David, like, what are you doing giving 50% of your profit? I mean, you could go out and buy an island somewhere. Or you could go buy a small country, you know, and, or you could rationalize it. So I'm going to invest and reinvest. But he's like, no, 50% because I'm content with what I've got. And as long as I know that there are people who have need, who don't know Jesus, I'm going to keep making as much money as I can so I can give as much as I can. And those are the kind of things that last and remain in your life that which you've given away. So mm-hmm. what, what number, what percentage. And I don't think if we're not feeling some pain in our giving, we're probably not given enough.
1: Ah, uh, that's good. I like that. I like that. If we're not feeling some pain in our giving, we're probably not giving enough. Beautiful. Uh, what about uh, where one sh- should or could give to?
2: Yeah, obviously, you know, you start first with the uh, clear idea that we should be supporting our local church and supporting the local church efforts Uh, No question about that. I think the idea that we're called to do that is great. Now, many of us have capacity to go over and above supporting the local church. And so certainly when that occurs, What we say is you take a look at some of the ideas that are in Scripture. So you think about it as like an investment portfolio on one hand. You look at the poor, the needy. You look at those in prison. You look at orphans. You look at widows. Helping those in need in that way is a clear part of the portfolio allocation. But I also say that one of the things when you take a look at that giving portfolio allocation, in many cases, you have to ask yourself the question, what territory has God assigned to us as a family? What are we called to? And when I say what territory, sometimes that is geographic. Well, I've been called to my Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Maybe it is international. But even over and above that, I say that You need to ask yourself, what are the ideas that you have been called to? Not just the organizations, but the ideas. And so for you, Skylar, it's, you know, man, we're going to help men. We're going to help. Um, uh, kids establish their identity, their purpose. Mm -hmm. Those are big ideas. Those are above and beyond any one organization. And sometimes it means that we call multiple organizations to the table to accomplish the end. So maybe in a given community, we're going to end homelessness. That's an idea. That's probably going to be more than one organization. I think we get a little lazy sometimes by saying, oh yeah, I've kind of fulfilled my duty because I gave to the rescue mission. Well, that's what we're called to. Maybe we do need to do a little bit more around the idea and be a convener to solve the problem. What do you
1: say to the person that doesn't uh, feel like they have enough money to give?
2: You know, <laughs> that when we do get that question, and there's no doubt that there are people that might be listening to this that are struggling to, um, make ends meet, they got budget issues, or maybe they lost a job. And I am mindful of that. And that's reality. And certainly God wants you to take care of your family. But I've also seen countless stories of people that when pressed up against the ropes, they kept their giving intact, and they just allowed God to bless them. And so you, again, this is some of the recklessness, I think, that we want to be have a little bit of that recklessness in our giving, where we can trust God for that—that goes back to some of that pain idea. Mm. Um, any, anyhow, it, that, there's not a perfect answer on that yeah. one, but yeah. I think we got to test ourselves a little bit.
1: It's been such a huge blessing in my life. Our giving—that's uh, the giving that we've done. So, we, when I met Jessica 13 years ago, we started. We made a commitment to tithe and to give back, and we've kept track of it on a spreadsheet ever since then. And so we have. All 13 years, and every year, how much we've given, and what percentage of income that was, and our goal is to increase that each year. And it's just been a been an amazing journey where we have not. And I'm not saying that people that give uh, have immediate blessings. However, our personal experiences, we've been blessed as we've continued to give more and contribute more. So it's been a really, and the, we've been blessed not only financially, but then also from a peace peace perspective, our our release, our grip on money has released. Like as we've given and given more, at a certain point, you just have to trust God. Uh we've even, even front loaded years before. It was one year where we said, you know what, we're expected to make this much money. Let's just front load our tithe and see what happens. Like we're just kind of testing, not testing God, but really uh proving his faithfulness. And it's been it's been an incredible journey where yeah, we 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 have a loose grip on money, on finances, on material things, and it's just given us a, an incredible peace. So I, I, I hope I hope that people listen to this start to start that process and take that journey seriously because the the work that God does in your heart when you start giving is is really impactful.
2: Uh, yeah. No, and and I think one of the things that we kind of have to again defeat in our world today is that standard of living that we're sometimes trying to provide for our kids, you know, that they got to be in this school and they're going to have these things or be in that sports program or they've got to go to college. And, you know, when we take struggle out of the lives of our kids, we prevent them from really growing the strength of character the wings that they truly need to be able to fly. So, I mean, I, I did, we did this when our kids were growing up, you know, I made the switch, I left the law firm, I was a partner in a law firm, money was good, all that kind of stuff. And then I moved into this space, the nonprofit space, and we took a huge pay cut. And at the same time we did that, we kept up our giving. And we always said, hey kids, we are giving away your college education. And we'll see how God provides. We don't know how he will. Uh, After the last one graduated, we went back and we tallied it up and we saw all these places where God provided for them to go to school. Now, we still contributed and they did, too. But there were scholarships. Sometimes people made gifts. It was crazy the amount of money that came in because we were willing to give away their college education.
1: Wow. Wow. Never heard that before. I love that. <laughs> we gave away our kids' college education. That's incredible. Uh, and it's it's just a testament to trusting God, right? And it's really, really trusting him that, that, that uh, you, you, you put giving before, uh, uh, you, you put trusting in the Lord and giving before uh, making sure your kids have the very best school education, which God's number one. Right and you and you trusted that God would provide anyway. You knew that they'd be taken care of. And if and I'm imagining if they if they, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts around that. Um, really powerful though, uh, because yeah, our our standard of living, most people would not be willing to give up their standard of living if if it meant having to give more. They would not be willing to downsize their house uh, to give more. Like most people, uh, I would say almost everyone would not be willing to get a smaller house so that they could give more to a cause that was important to their heart. Which, again, no shame. I don't know if I would do it, and I haven't had to make that decision. I don't know how I would handle that. It's just interesting, though, where our priorities are. Uh, Having the nice things or being comfortable, making sure we stay comfortable versus kind of living on the edge. Uh, But, yeah.
2: Well, your kids, I mean, when you come back to this idea of legacy, your kids... If you want something to stick with them, it won't be because you made life comfortable. What they will remember are those moments when you took risk and adventure and they saw you live out your values. Uh, In in the Hobby Lobby family, one of the, the grandkids watched the family take the risk of potentially losing the company over the value of life. And that is one of the things that stood out to them, influenced their career, all because they were willing to put it all on the line. It won't be because they had a big bank account saving for college. Well,
1: legacy's more about values and the values we leave than the the dollars that we leave in the account. Uh, Fantastic, um, And then Bill, so you're, you're heavily involved in supporting families on, on, on doing legacy work. And so uh, we have some pretty successful, just incredible people that listen to this show. And so tell us a little bit more about what you, what you do and how people that may be interested in diving deeper into getting clear on the legacy they want to live, uh, how they could step into that.
2: Yeah. I mean, great question. So We would say that we want to help families win today, uh, win every day with their family, because some some of these families have, you know, whether it's a teenager or a little kid, how do you win today? You know, how are you going to help build legacy, even though life is really busy? And at the same time, we say that we want to help you win every day. We want you to thrive for generations. So let's win today, but let's win for the next 150 years. How do you do that? So the work that we do, we have two sides to what we do. We have a consulting company that's called Seventh Generation Consulting. That's for some of the families that need some deeper work. Maybe they've got a few generations at stake. Maybe their business has some complexities. Maybe their family has some complexities. That can be some fairly intense work. We also have the uh, the ministry side that's called Legacy Stone. We lead workshops. We have some digital conferences, work that we do there as well. We're actually building out some small group curriculum for the local church. The work, though, regardless of whether it's on the consulting side or on the ministry side, it really boils down to three big components. The first big one is you got to focus on the relational health every person in the family has got to be thriving as an individual and they've got to be thriving as a unit you've got to see that you have a role inside the family and that you that you matter that you belong there so that's one of the first big ones and so there's some relational dynamics some communication pieces we use a lot of assessments personality profiles, uh, different tools to measure the effectiveness of the relational health, but also put in place some of the tools that are necessary. So that's kind of first big bucket. The second big bucket is really a structure bucket. And when people hear that, they think, oh, no, estate plan. And that's not the case. It's actually really built around the idea of family governance. How do you govern the family in the same way that you'd have a, a, a U.S. constitution? Do you have a family constitution? Vision, mission, values, what are the rules of the game? Ultimately, driving to the idea that the most successful families have a regular family meeting. You reestablish the family table, not as a, just as a place where you eat dinner, but you talk about the business of the family not the family business but the business of the family what's god called us to vision mission values who we are health of the family what are our goals how are we serving and yeah maybe there's some discussion around family business So that's what structure looks like. Most families don't have that. We're far more structured about our business than we are in our family. And then the third big bucket that we try to focus on is next generation training. I can't tell you how many families I step into, whether they're in the workshop environment or in the consulting environment, and we wait Too long to train our kids to be part of this generational legacy. We tend to assume that, oh, they're going to show up, they're going to wave their hands and say, I want in. And you actually have to give a structure and a pathway for people to be able to be part of it and say, look, guys, we want you in. If you want in, if you're called to this, then we're going to make it possible. Now, if you're called to somewhere else, if you're called to go be a missionary in Nigeria, we're going to help you do that too. But we want you in, and you're part of this ministry, the the business of the family, if you will. No matter what it is, so those are the three big buckets that we're trying to focus on.
1: Fantastic. And if there was one uh, one nugget you would uh, give to the listeners, uh, for those that have families and those that want to uh, leave, leave uh, live a legacy and really make the biggest impact, not only while they're here, uh, but when they're gone, what what would you? What words of wisdom?
2: Would you the get? simplest thing to realize is that your family truly was meant to be multi generational and it will be multi generational. The question is whether the things that you have established are going to stick. And so, if you recognize that first, then the second thing that we say the simplest thing to do is if you would simply define and articulate your top three to five family values and let everybody know what they are. Maybe it's as simple as faith, family, integrity, generosity, adventure, Uh, and you put them down on paper and you talk about them. You put them on the doorposts of your house and you just reinforce and you tell the stories around each of those values. If you ingrain that into the culture of your family, you have something that can stick for generations. And just by doing that, you change the compass setting and the trajectory of your family for generations to come. This is not just me, by the way. There, they, There's other guys that have studied these 100-year families, successful families. And the key to those families, vision, mission, values, clearly articulated, regular family meetings, ways to navigate conflict. If you do those things you can put in motion a generational plan for success. Wow.
1: So much wisdom. Uh, Well, Bill, I appreciate you. Uh, I'm very inspired and I I have more notes than I typically take on a, uh, on a podcast call. So uh, thank you for uh, sharing these things. Um, And I'd love to, I'd love for, for you to share where listeners could find you.
2: Yeah, a couple places. So they can go to BillHigh.com. That's my personal website. And then they can go to LegacyStone.com as well. That's the ministry side of what we do. They can find out about some of our upcoming workshops and the like. And we'll be having more there as we start to release some of our digital content.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Bill. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in for more episodes, which come out every other week. Click the subscribe button to become a part of the Rise Up Kings tribe. And check out the three-day experience at RiseUpKings.com.